Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. To change the very language around tabletop role-playing games, and we think that that's necessary in order to make it uh, more accessible to a broader audience. My name is Jeremy Gage, and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming to this episode of the Draw Your Dice podcast. As you heard in the intro, I am Jeremy Gage, but today is never about me. Not one episode is ever about me. Actually, that's a lie. I just released an April Fool's that is about me. So go listen to that. That's cool. Uh, But... Today, I am really excited because I know you all have heard me talk about my ideas about live design and the ecosystem and the digital environment for RPGs, so I am really, I have a profound set of guests today. Uh, They are the one of many, two of many, excuse me, joint creators of Multiverse. I can't believe they're on the show. I'd like to welcome... Sarah Alfagy and Janie Jaffe. <sighs> Thank you for, for correcting us. me. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, as always, for those who may not know who you are, why don't you give a brief introduction of what you do with Multiverse and how you got your start in doing this whole giant endeavor uh, for the people at home. So I'll start with introducing Multiverse. Um, so we are a gaming platform where you can build and play tabletop role-playing games. Uh, we allow creators to combine the beautiful pixel art library that we have with their own original campaigns and rule sets. We're bringing visuals and approachability of video games to the traditional pen and paper tabletop genre. 
Uh, so our goal is to really bring this cult favorite game genre to a whole new audience uh, and most importantly, enable the people who create those games to make a living uh, in their passion. Uh, my name is Sarah Alphagy. I'm the co-founder and creative director of Multiverse, and I'm joined today by the lovely Janie, who will introduce herself too. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Janie Jaffe. I am a game designer and engineer at Multiverse. Um, I, you know, sort of got started in indie tabletop RPGs, just sort of writing games, and then was hired to the team last year and have been, uh, uh, you know, working hard, trying to work on things around games and design and how sort of we are, are bringing sort of game design to, like, a digital space and how that changes things. And it's been a cool time. Mm-hmm. Our company has about uh, a team of 16 right now, uh, give or take. And um, we started about last year, a little over a year now, in 2019, originally in Boston. It was me and my two other co-founders, uh, Tariq Shehipar and Hisham Badri. Um, they are two fabulous MIT engineers, and I uh, come from an illustrator background, can't code worth shit. Uh, but... <laughs> Together, we combined forces and found fabulous people like Janie uh, to help build out this this idea. Oh, God, I love it. I'm so ready to talk today. Um, as an additional icebreaker to the show, uh, for the both of you, would you just give a really brief like journey into how you got started playing tabletop games, uh, maybe what... And what was kind of the sparking idea that said, huh, multiverse should be a thing? Yeah. Um, on my end, I, I think I have a story that's very familiar to, to the more casual tabletop RPG gamers out there where they listen to, you know, a podcast. For me, that was The Adventure Zone. Mm -hmm. I really, really got sucked into that, like, uh, actual play podcast space. And it made that whole gaming scene seemed very exciting and approachable. Uh, and around the same time, you know, I had my own group of nerdy friends and all of us kind of came from like different corners of, of you know, being a dork. Like one only watched anime, the other one only read like doorstop or fantasy books, the other one, you know, super into sci-fi. And we're like, there's got to be something we can all do together because like we all just really love uh, fiction and storytelling. And for us, we thought we found that answer in D&D. Um, and we tried playing it <laughs> with mixed success, uh, which I think is a common story for a lot of people who try TTRPGs, absolutely not knowing what they're signing up for. Um, and, and we realized, we're like, wait, there's, there's got to be more to this. Hold on, let's try this again. Um, and because I was lucky enough that I, I have these friends who are are very extra and enthusiastic and, and talented people. When we came back the next week to try our, our homebrew one shot one more time, uh, my friend told us to all pull, up, pull out our phones and he sent out a link to us. And it looked like, like a mock-up of a Pokemon game, but instead it had all of our characters on the screen and like a little mini map. And we were that same day after having a failed session before we played for six hours straight. Yes. And, and that was my first moment of like, Whoa, what is this? I have to know what else is out there. How about you, Janie? 
Um, for me, I've been playing tabletop role-playing games since I was 12 years old, running like D&D 4th edition. Um, along the way, you know, similar to Sarah, I kind of threw an actual play podcast, first through the Adventure Zone and then through Friends of the Table. Actually, through Friends of the Table, I was introduced to a ton of uh, just like indie games and just that whole space. That was where I also, I like met a ton of other indie designers and, and started thinking like, oh, hey, I could write games myself. That is like a thing I could do. Um, in the background, I had been like learning to code and absolutely loving it. I had wanted to go into like game development for a long time, sort of like working at a very traditional studio. And then I worked at a very traditional studio and I did not like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I, I think I had been following the multiverse just like as a project for a little while. Um, and it really excited me. And so when I saw the job posting, I was like, oh, this is a perfect like fit. Like it is both game development, but also this thing that I love, this space that I love uh, uh, of tabletop RPGs. And yeah, so now we're here. <laughs> wow, I love it. I love it so much. So I guess that will lead us into sort of the the meat and potatoes of, of all of this multiverse. So, you know, the idea sort of started in Boston in 2019 and, uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, did you did you have a Kickstarter for this around that year? Um, so around the following year, just as unfortunately quarantine yeah. hit, uh, we thought the route that we would take was launching a Kickstarter and mm-hmm. you know uh, bringing the project to people through that channel, as usually happens with tabletop RPGs. Um, as COVID hit, we didn't know if that was the most sensitive idea and we ended up uh, closing it, but we still ran our closed beta and we actually gave closed beta out to everybody who backed us, even though we didn't end up charging them because we closed down the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the start of our very strong and, you know, still going discord community. So the mm-hmm. folks who, who, you know, stuck around for those days um, are still playing with us today. That's super cool. And, uh, I was at the time I was working at uh, a winery for like 12 hours a day, but I was one of the people that were a part of that sort of initial want for Kickstarter push. I think I still have the email for the closed beta somewhere in my email. So what I'm saying is that I've been a fan for a very long time. I think what you're doing is very, very, very cool. And it uh, has sort of shaped my own game design principles as I move forward in my fledgling ingenue career. Uh, I don't know what that looks like, but let's, let's kind of talk about why, like why the push, I know you said you were hungry for more digital space things, but um, maybe you could talk to us about like why the digital design principle for this to bring tabletop into the digital space versus letting it stay in the, pen and pencil space do you think that crosses over too much into video game territory or what makes it different from that uh so that's uh, a really good question because um the people who i started developing this project with initially they were coming very much from a video game background Uh, and for them we were thinking about like what does it take to pull in a new person into tabletop RPG? And what kind of visual language do people already have? Uh, and you know, what are they reacting to strongest? And so for us, the, the traditional method of, you know, you read a giant rule book and you gather up all your friends and you play for six hours, it seemed just like a very intimidating entryway into games. Um, and we were kind of thinking amongst ourselves, like, what does it take to really, like, 
bring in that next level of engagement to someone who has very little exposure. Uh, you know, I think of of that friend group I originally started playing with. And to anyone who would ask, like, we were perfectly primed to be, you know, the right kind of group to get together and playing together. And yet we still had a lot of those stumbling blocks. And in my experience, you know, asking around people who did play or wanted to play, for every person who wanted to play tabletop RPGs, maybe one out of those 10 actually pulled it off. Um, and we thought that we could kind of close that gap a bit more. Mm. I think that, uh, particularly when it comes to the kind of fiction as well, that's being pushed out there, the people who dominate the space like wizards of the coast, um, they're not really able to reach uh, a more inclusive audience, or they're not really able to talk to them as effectively, uh, which is so wild because you, you'd think of all spaces, um, you know, you think of, of like publishing or film or, you know, video games, TTRPG doesn't require that big production budget. You don't, you can kind of be the representation you want to see. And that was very, very attractive to us. And what encouraged us to, to kind of like get our, our hands dirty and do it ourselves. Uh, what about you, Jenny? I think the the thing that really stuck out for me is like, uh, Jeremy, is that you mentioned like video games, and I think that that is such a like uh, uh, an interesting space as a designer with with multiverse. And I think it was the first thing that like really hit me about the the project as a whole um, is that I I think like there is something that changes when you are walking around a space <laughs> using WASD as a character, mm-hmm. but still playing a tabletop role playing game. Um, there is so much that like opens up there in terms of uh, representation, in terms of item use, in terms of puzzles, in terms of all of these different things uh, uh, when you have this sort of direct mode of interaction that I think has made Multiverse a really exciting project to design for. Um, I, I think, like, obviously, like, I don't know, digital play is, is something that is... Uh, uh, important to me just because I've never had, you know, like even my friends playing tabletop role-playing games growing up, like lived three towns over, we would meet like once a month to be able to play. And so we would just like play for like <laughs> six hours straight. It was like a huge blowout. It was great. But like, I've never felt that like actual, you know, uh, uh, actual virtual tabletop, you know, things that exist, er, existing solutions just like aren't exciting in the same way are, are often clunky and are often not like just not visually appealing, not engaging and offering way more trouble uh, uh, to like actually use. And so I think that like a thing that is exciting about multiverse is just the way that that it is presenting something that is that is really, I think, different and new and, uh, uh, you know, exciting, you know, as a designer. Yeah, I think that differentiates us from other um you know, the virtual tabletops that are already out there is they are just trying to like one-to-one replicate the the pen and paper experience and then just add, you know, uh, room for a camera and a mic to be added to it. We are trying to, to change the very language around tabletop role-playing games. And we think that that's necessary in order to make it uh, more accessible to a broader audience. I, <laughs> I'm so happy uh, because uh, uh, fellow designer Spencer Campbell and I uh, often are talking about this thing we've dubbed as live design, where we take 
um, he has developed games based on like the Destiny and fr- uh, Warframe franchises. And excuse me, uh, we talk about de- having design principles that examine video game aspects, MMO aspects, and trying to emulate that and change the design language in which we make games. So for him, for his light game, which is a direct, um, not a direct one-to-one, but a delineation or distillation of destiny, we've been talking about like, okay, so like what if you had a website that generated like loot and strikes and raids for people that they like these adventure prompts that people could run at their table. Mm -hmm. And if they, you know, you could keep some sort of like member login that like, if they're using the honor system and they're like, Hey, uh, we completed this adventure. Cool. You get a token. And at the end of the month for the raid, you spend all those tokens for the loot table and you get this cool, unique gun that no one else would be able to get because they haven't run that adventure. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm is these really cool electronic design things that we both feel are not being explored from the pen and pencil space enough in the, like this is 2021, like yeah, for as cool as roll 20 has been to help people connect internationally around the world, across the country. Uh, I agree. I've found it to be clunky in some facets and slow for other people's computers. And it just doesn't work super well in the browser medium and to have something that's very like cool and dedicated and, and from the ground up thinks about digital rather than emulating pen and paper. I mean, I've been really attracted to the art style. It reminds me of stuff like, um, like Final Fantasy Tactics, Saga Frontier, Legend of Mana, like all those style of Square Enix games. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and I would say that for me is like, I love that you bring that up because uh, I look to, you know, Final Fantasy and JRPGs, uh, yes. Kingdom Hearts as my touchstone for a truly like love of fiction and love mm-hmm. of storytelling from games that honestly now like I'm relearning exist within like pbta spaces and stuff like you don't have to answer all the questions i'm going to present to you a world and you know you do if you can follow along cool and if you can't whatever yeah uh, <laughs> that's a square enix game yeah. um, <laughs> <in> a- <laughs> if you don't get it that's fine just level yeah. up <laughs> And it, well, a lot of what you're talking about you know you're talking about progression and automation and mm-hmm. having like that that GM responsibility kind of distributed or taken over by something else uh, that that's, you know, run from an engine. Uh, and that's something we're all like very, very like hungry for at Multiverse. And we're digging into, um, you know, how much automation versus how little at what point do you let the players breathe versus, you know, you let the, the system kind of take over the story a bit. One second while I plug in my charger. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Actually, in the meantime, Janie, for you, the system multiverse is designed to be highly customizable, like all across the board. And as you know, <laughs> I feel like this episode is going to end up being very dedicated to Spencer and I. But what? How challenging is it to? I don't know if you're the only one working on this. I don't know if there's a team of engineers or developers that are also forming this backbone for multiverse. Um, but um, what are the challenges of that? Like, like you know, what I mean? like to me, I'm like, you just designed 10 different trees and you have to shade and, and consider like the isometrics of all of them and like, 
the programming behind that. I've done very small like HTML, CSS things, <laughs> and like so very little what JavaScript. I can say for that, um, we have so my my co-founder Hisham. The reason we were able to pull this off is because he is a one-man engine in kind of this amazing <laughs> way where we had the art in like up front in priority with the tech from the get-go. Um, mm. And we chose pixel art very intentionally, not just because it has this nostalgic factor to it, but because it is highly customizable. It is low mm. cost, low entry for other creators. Mm. Um, and we can you know, produce it at lightning fast speeds. Uh, mm. And then through our engine, you, know, you have these like millions of possibilities because every single asset is also recustomizable, recolored, resized, reshaped, uh, and still all holds up at 60 FPS. You know, it's mm -hmm. easy on your, um, it's easy to load up on the web, uh, and we have a fantastic team. You know, making sure it stays that way, um, and and that's on the on the art side regarding like making your own systems, making your own games, something that uh, Janie and the other engineers are also very deep into. Janie herself, uh, I will say this for you, just designed <laughs> a, new, a new dice system for us and like that we can totally customize that I actually used in a game just last week. Thank Hell you yeah. for that. Uh, Janie, anything to add yeah, to, to I mean, all of that? So yes, uh, uh, Sarah's right. We have a big engineering team. It, it's definitely not just me. Um, <laughs> Uh, who are making this thing run. I, I think that, yeah, so like talking about the dice system a little, it has been a really, really interesting challenge sort of as someone who is both between what we call like content and product team, um, but in mm -hmm. reality, it's like game design and then like coding, like working on the platform or like sort of the things that I'm styling. Um, what's been really interesting has been that it's a different kind of design from both points of view in that like I am not, you know, when I'm creating something like the dice system, right? I immediately from the get-go knew what I don't want this to be is I don't want it to be just like, okay, here's like, okay, use a 2D6 system or a D20 system or a, <laughs> like, I didn't want to just give a list because I knew that that would just drive me, it would just like drive me wild. I would hate that <laughs> so much. I'd be so annoyed. Um, so it almost is like what I had to do. And, and I think that a lot of what we have to do when we're thinking about multiverses, we're, we're thinking on like a stage above design on a stage above game designer. It's like, mm -hmm. how do we make tools for game designers? How do we make like mm -hmm. the ability for game designers to make new kinds of games? Mm -hmm. um, and so with the dice system, it, it turned into this like, okay, you are like literally programming it. You're literally like defining inputs and outputs and like you can basically, uh, you know, we got this system to a point where you can basically make any kind of dice system that you want and it'll work natively in multiverse and you can like plug in or whatever. And you know, that might change. We can't like make specific product, you know, what it, yeah. it's still in flux. <laughs> we're not making new products. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's definitely something that we're thinking about and, and that has just been so interesting from a design point of view. It just has totally changed like, you know, how I have to think about games and then also how I have to think about, like, you know, engineering, how I have to think about, okay, how are we, how are then these pieces fitting together? How are we passing data around? How are we handling, mm -hmm. you know, because we have five different people, like, all connected in the same place. Anyways, it's just been, it's been really interesting. It, yeah. It sounds amazing. I, and I, I bring up the Dysosome as, you know, just as Jenny said, like that example of we can't just think of we are building one game. We can't just think we have to think of like how could someone build a game on multiverse and, and kind of go like 
uh, what's that meme of like the uni- universe brain, like, ex- <laughs> like <laughs> galaxy like, brain, just <laughs> yeah, galaxy brain. You know, if if step one is like uh, r- like roll twenty, and it's like I just want to play the same exact thing that I I can do with a handbook. It's like we we need to think a couple steps afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's a very delicate balance of like on one hand you want you know, uh, people who are very hardcore in the community, who are going to be making their own systems, who care very deeply about different styles of play. Uh, and then you're going to have users who have only maybe heard of D&D through a community episode. And we have to talk to everybody from one point of the spectrum to the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of like evolution in mind as it continues to progress, which is very awesome and very like technology, like pe- um for a team who's considering technology as the basis for this design, it's important to keep in mind, like what is, what is this product going to look like five years down the line? Right. Cause technology mm-hmm. evolves so rapidly, uh, in our current ecosystem. Right. Uh, um, we kind of think of it as sort of like three tiers of engagement. There's mm-hmm. the first one is going to be like, you are the friend of somebody who wants to GM a game for you. You're hopping in, you know, randomly on a Saturday night. Uh, you don't really think twice about it. The second tier is maybe the person who is running the game and maybe they, they tweak a couple things that, uh, from a handbook they got and maybe they're interested in homebrewing, but most of the time they're having a lot of fun in level editor. And then the third tier would be like someone who is making games, they're writing them, uh, you know, they're putting them on itch.io and Kickstarter, all this stuff. Uh, and they're looking to, to even support themselves, uh, with games. And we want to make sure, like, all those audiences um, are, are spoken to, you know, cons- with a lot of consideration and sensitively and with the tools that, that make sense for them. I, I love it. You, uh, something earlier you mentioned, I don't know if this was specifically meaning for the team of Multiverse, but you talked about how um, content creators can make an income using the platform. Was that just for the team or did you mean that like someone who game designs on multiverse, is there like a marketplace that would exist yes. for multiverse? Wow. Uh, that's very cool. So for us, it's uh, playing, it's sharing, it's streaming. And then ultimately is the, the, um, what do you call it? The marketplace aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the primary reason that, you know, we were able to get funding and stuff at the start. Um, it's because, we understand that there is quite a bit of work being shared and being, you know, passed around and much loved. And people don't really realize just how much money is flowing around TTRPGs right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just barely getting a blip on the mainstream. Yeah. Um, and we think that, like, we can lower the barriers for entry so much more. And we can also help uh, distribute those games as be another distribution channel for a lot of those designers as well. And also rethink of like what a final product could look like, you know, thinking in terms of video games with microtransactions, you don't have to necessarily deliver a beautiful 300 page, uh, you know, well-designed book and, you know, art objects and things like that. It can be as simple as like, Oh, you're putting together, uh, you know, these animated NPCs for someone to fight. You're selling a boss pack. You're selling, you know, uh, like these sword designs and stuff like that. So very 
lots of different choices mm-hmm. that other people might not necessarily um, have have a channel to share right now. Um, so recognizing that that need is there and very much looking forward to talking to people and, and starting that up, which is why our closed beta is so focused right now on uh, the creator community. Mm-hmm. We want to talk to those people first for a reason. Mm-hmm. It seems there's a lot of modularity in mind. Is that to say then if someone is creating assets for the multiverse space, that there will be some sort of developer tools or something available, you know, in it? In this, the is the, this, this is the preview, so I can't, you know, I'm not asking questions to make promises, but yeah, will there be some sort of development? That is tools? definitely the goal. I've yeah. Heard. That's it's very... been part of our conversations from day one. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Holy wow. Uh, no, th- it's amazing because recently in my podcast, we've talked a lot about this concept called itch funding or degreening. Degreening comes from an, another podcast, uh, shout out to the brain trust out there. But itch funding is this concept of trying to move away from Kickstarter as sort of the seen as sole body of making it in the tabletop RPG space. And so a lot of us are trying to figure out how to use itch.io to sort of uh, supplement these crowdfunding concepts, creating sort of Mm -hmm. um, stretch goals based on total sales rather than total pre-sales. So more like, you know, (laughs) post-sale versus pre-sale. And... Uh, I love that you're creating this system with sort of this, you know, to give designers another avenue to try and make it on their own, to explore their dreams. Mm-hmm. Because for like for me as a designer, I haven't I haven't finished a game yet and I am terrified to use Kickstarter in, in mm-hmm. all stretch of the imagination. But I'm really interested in itch funding. I'm really interested in what you're doing with multiverse. And I think that's very cool. Um, so I love that as a part of this conversation, it's also about not just the fun of game design, right? But also the business of game design too yeah. is something that you're keeping in sort of the forefronts of your mind, which is, which is very awesome. I mean, so I, I should also mention, like I come from a freelance background. I've done mm-hmm. Kickstarters before. I fundamentally understand what it's like to kind of scrap in that way as a creator and at the same time I've stepped into tech spaces now and I see how quickly checks are written you know uh life-changing money is thrown around right and that kind of attention it's so interesting to me because it's like you look at video games and you look at the kind of budgets needed to pull off uh triple a sort of like experiences and at the same time like you look at the top selling games and where do they start with where are the so much of their inspiration being pulled from the language that we know through video games began at a tabletop yeah um and we kind of have to go like back to our roots to remember it's like this is where everything started and we there's definitely room to uplift these creators too who are coming up with the most innovative ideas uh who don't need you know super high production uh, costs to pull it off and can continue to make like incredibly engaging games. So now we just need to bridge that gap, uh, between, you know, those communities and a broader market. And, uh, we'll probably have to tweak a little bit of the language, uh, Mm -hmm. in order for, to reach one, one group to the other. Uh, Mm -hmm. but we're quite excited for what that might look like. Uh, you know, last little, last little bit for this particular segment here. Not that this hasn't been an absolute wellspring right now. 
you also mentioned streaming. So I, I believe I've read and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's some sort of like streaming integration with multiverse. Is that correct? We're working on it, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is all I can promise. But actually, uh, just last week, I can't say who, but um, I, I can't say. So we're actually announcing a, you know, uh, we have some big announcements coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, if you keep your eyes peeled, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but uh, your question may be answered soon about sure. how <laughs> connected we are to Twitch. I'm totally cool with NDA things. You don't. If it's not on the table, it's not on the table. The, be the beauty of audio is that I can edit it out. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, no, that's amazing. I like that that is also a con consideration because um, uh, an actual play I frequent is Critical Role. Yeah. Uh, just because I'm in a sunk cost fallacy and I cannot stop watching. <laughs> and uh, I, I should also say D &D like... Classic sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I should also say it's like the reason we're so excited with streamers as well is we are providing them a very, very visual experience. Yes. You know, we're talking about uh, everything that's being fully animated, uh, making sure that a DM or actually any player, too, has the ability to make sure that their actions are reflected on screen in a really dynamic and exciting way. Mm -hmm. uh, we got thousands of assets in our pixel art library and more to come, you know, as we, uh, explore other genres besides fantasy as well. Um, and we're, we're very, very excited to hand this over to Twitch streamers quite soon. Also team multiverse streams three times a week on Twitch. So you guys mm -hmm. can take a peek at what those tools look like there. In preparation, I've been watching the farm stream for, <laughs> and that's been exciting, uh, just to see all the custom, uh, customization that is available in the game currently and mm -hmm. that the game is like not I'm quoting in the air done right mm -hmm. like there's still so much more I'm sure assets to come <laughs> you said thousands I'm sure there'll be ten thousands have an engineering team that's as big as our art team and it's like we have devoted just as much attention to both sides of this platform art is very much like at the forefront it is not secondary So in this section, this is around the tabletop game design sphere, but it can also be digitally or electronically. Um, what trends are you seeing that you're really liking within the sphere? Whatever's like maybe something that's blipping up in your social circles over and over again that you're like, man, people should explore that more or something to that effect. Or do you feel, is there a trend that's maybe being detracting to the tabletop scene or last bit? Is there a trend within you that you would like to speak into the ether and produce <laughs> as reality uh, for the listeners? You know, here, mm -hmm. take this trend, someone run with it. <laughs> someone just go. Uh, Janie, I'd like to start with you. Oh, yeah, totally. I, uh, okay. I think a trend that I, I have really been liking. So, like, I am someone who I got into, got into, like, tabletop RPGs through Friends at the Table and then through like you know meeting people through that, which is a very like I guess you would, I don't know I don't know what the good word 
a good term is for it, but I guess like the traditional thing is like story game or whatever, like mm-hmm. very like PBTA, like indie ass indies, lyric games, all that good shit. Um, sorry, all that good stuff. No, um, you're good. <laughs> shit is fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that a trend that I've really loved lately is actually coming out of like Sword Dream, which is a space which I've not engaged Ooh. with a lot. But like something that I really like is that it feels like these two communities of designers have been like traveling in each other's direction. Like you have designers like Viditia Valetti, who you had the program recently, um, who's an incredible designer who's making things like 6E GMless, which is, mm-hmm. you know, undeniably coming from that sword dream, like traditional like OSR kind of framework, but is using all these creative new ideas that are that that feel very like indie like story game to me. And then you have like on the other side, like designers like Ben Roswell, uh, you know, looking at things like machine games and breaking down like, okay, how how do we add mechanical narrative crunch in a way that feels very OSR? It just feels like these communities are like trading ideas back and forth are moving in like similar directions and that is like the trend that i've been feeling that i just like i just need i want more of it give me more like weird narrative crunchy games like <laughs> i love it so 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 much um yeah That's not really connected to multiverse other than the fact that like we want to you be don't able need to, to welcome to yeah, you, know, you know it's yeah. This is loose let your let we your wrinkly blank brain just go yeah <laughs> i love rpgs <laughs> So good. Uh, I don't know if this counts uh, as as a trend, but for me, so I've been really sinking my teeth more and more uh, into indie games. And for me, this is more more new to me. Um, and I've been just really falling in love with people like bringing in the most unexpected uh, fiction, the most unexpected like influences into RPG space. Like just the other day, I discovered uh, the Fight with Spirit high school sports RPG, which is by <laughs> Story Brewers Role Playing. They did, and the, previously they did the Jane Austen RPG. And I'm like, I, I love where your mind wanders to. I am thriving here. Uh, so it's stuff like that where I'm like, I, I now am looking at the world with this whole new lens of like, well, what if that was an RPG? What if that was an RPG? And it, it's magic. I can't oh tell you how many animes I watch from like, that could be an RPG. I could totally yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a friend, I don't know if anyone here is familiar with the very cool volleyball sports anime, Haikyuu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, there is a very Absolutely. cool... Cool designer by the name of Kevin who's making a game called Nice Kill. Uh, and it's, uh, I haven't seen it, and I'm trying to speak it into the ether. So, Kevin, if you're listening, pe- Please there are other people who are excited. <laughs> yeah. We need to see this game come out, dude. Yeah. Um, so, let me tell you about Fight with Spirit. I just pulled it up, and yeah. it is, as described, uh, it tells stories like those in sports anime, such as Free, Haikyo, and Chia mm-hmm. Hafuru. And I'm like, oh, oh, I need that so fucking badly. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it feels like in TTRPG moments where you can pause the action and you can, you know, talk about, you know, where your character is pulling their strength from and all yeah. of that. And I, I live for it. I'm in the I'm actually like in the finale of it right now. Yeah. In the final few uh, episodes. So this is like recent joy. <laughs> to the top, baby. Mm-hmm. Um. And I love, Janie, I love what you said about sort of this trend of collaboration and iteration, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's just this constant resonance of, you know, it's, 
one of my favorite sayings that I say a lot on this show is that knowledge is only useful when it's applied, right? And so when people release their Ashcan product out on itch, like this is just an idea, it's playable, run with it, I'll finish it later. Someone else will see that and be like, ooh, but what if I added uh, a period piece on top of mm-hmm. this, like, what do I get out of this OSR period totally. piece? You know what I mean? And um, I think that is one of the most beautiful things that sort of escaped the more mainstream space. Like, like the the DMs Guild concept is sort of that and sort of not that at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's more like oh, wow, what if I, like, what's my next D&D times this product, right? Like, cross over this product. But what I love about the indie space is that it's full-blown ideas that are taken Mm -hmm. and twisted and melted down and put together and these amalgamations that form (laughs) really beautiful products. Like you mentioned, Viditia, um, several designers that I've had on this show have, like, um, you were mentioning the Jane Austen RPG and I had a designer, Eli Seitz, on here, who made uh, a game about a, oh shit, eight, 18, no, 17, 1700s, uh, about explorers going, European explorers going to Antarctica and their whole journey mm-hmm. of like making it and then dying, like coming home. I love that. And Whoa. it is, <laughs> it has the best, is the best journaling game that I've read in a long time. It's called The Last Place on Earth. Feel free to check it out. Eli Sites. It's a great, it's a great game. It's a great, 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 great game. It can be played with people at the table, but you can also just like, so I'm going to just love dote for a second, just because we (laughs) brought it up. So the the co-op version is that you're, you're all playing the explorers and you have the GM plays sort of the narration through the lens of the expedition lead. But the soloing game has you turn it on its head and you play as the expedition lead and you sort of take on this, like, how are the explorers doing? How's Jim doing? Like, telling all these little lore questions or Mm -hmm. getting all these little lore prompts about um, how each of the other explorers are doing. And it has stuff like, it's your birthday today. What did the crew do for you today? And things like that. And it's, it's good. But at the end of the game, like, it tells you up front, you're all going to die before this game is over. So with that understanding, go ahead and play. And I, I love, I love games with that sort of like end goal and this, and that it was full. It's, he did so much research in that he looked up all the articles of it's based on an actual person. I don't have the game in front of me. Uh, I have it. It's based off of the, our Robert F. Scott's fatal 1912 yes. expedition to the South pole. Jeez. Yes. Oh, wow. I was super wrong about the year. I'm sorry, Eli. <laughs> That's me trying to remember it off the rip. I don't think they were making it in 1700. In 1700s, <laughs> they were still trying to find their own ass in Europe. <laughs> um. I, I just, I love the like the 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 specificity of that, mm-hmm. and, yes. and I think yeah. that's something you see around just like how do we create an experience yes. that is like so specific and tailored and intentional. Mm. It's like yes. every single piece of this is going to be intentionally building towards this one specific experience that we want you to have. Um, There's and, something and I just love beautiful I just love about like telling your players, this isn't about you and seeing yeah. them kind of mm-hmm. like liberated in that experience. Oh my God. Like oh, they yes. don't feel they really, really don't feel like their choices will reflect back on them. 
if you mm-hmm. have that set up from the get-go. I had that experience recently GMing, uh, actually on Multiverse, a Bluebeard's Bride. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that game was, hands down, one some of the best experience I had GMing, and I'm, I'm fairly new to that that mm-hmm. role. Uh, and some of the, the most like in-character role-playing I had seen like from my players as well. Uh, it was it was such a pleasure. Uh, before before I move in like beyond the trend section, I'd actually like to know recently uh, if you mm-hmm. could name like in the last three months, what was your favorite game both to either run in run or to play in that you've recently played using probably the multiverse space. Like, what do you feel has been like a good mm-hmm. uh, test subject for the system? Take your time. Would, yeah, I could probably system. say, um, yeah, my best time GMing was definitely that uh, Bluebeard's Bride game mm-hmm. uh, where I, I actually did end up making like a whole haunted level um, and I had blocked out all of the rooms. So they were more like the map was more more symbolic but it's like they had these better little clues to and details of things to react to. So it really drew out my players and we really felt like we were in the same space together in that way. Um, best experience, I guess, maybe as a player was actually in one of Janie's games. She ran Beam Saber for us. Yes, and Beam I'm Saber. I'm still thinking about... Uh, and I, and I had kind of had this, this hybrid sheet. Um, I played, I think, oh, I don't know what the official name for it is, but it's like one of the Android characters and I'm, I'm still thinking think about the, that the, character. The artificial. Yes. Yeah. I had combined two of the playbooks together playing as the artificial and, and tweaking it a bit. Um, and like, sometimes I'll just be going about my day and I'm like, I wonder what K2 would be doing right now. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> you know, there's some characters like they just, they just stay with you. And it's it's really special when a when a game and a GM can draw that out of you. Aw, I love that so much. I'm so glad that you enjoyed that game. That game was really was amazing. If I can uh, shout out here um, for that game, we were using the the Rear Guard Squad playbook, uh, mm-hmm. Rear Guard by Small Planet Games, which is Ben Roswell and Caro Assertion, um, which is just and just had an incredible time uh, uh, playing in, playing in that game, playing in that universe. Um, I. For myself, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little because it's something that we haven't played yet, but mm-hmm. that I've been prepping and I'm really excited to play mm-hmm. is uh, I'm Sorry, Did You Say Street Magic? Yes. Um, by Caro Assertion. Uh, I've been sort of like, so well, just that we've been talking a lot about like, okay, co-GMing. Um, mm-hmm. One of the really interesting things that, that uh, uh, you know, I saw um, when I was first, you know, sort of joining the team and watching y'all like run playtests is that, uh, there's this thing uh, sometimes at multiverse they will they will literally have like multiple people signed in uh, uh, and like running GM things quote unquote like there will be one person who'll be there who'll be the GM of the session like running play etc uh, uh, you know doing all the normal game GM things and then there might be another person who is there who is logged in who is like setting up visuals setting up effects setting up NPCs like mm-hmm. handling like vi- you know Ooh. all these little things think of like we'll- you have the director. And then you have like the the uh, the crew, the stage crew, mm. kind <laughs> of running around. Exactly. Um, and, and the thing is, is like we found this beautiful balance where we started giving the players those, you know, yeah. quote unquote, stage it's, it's... crew tools. Mm-hmm. And what is kind of amazing is like 
the players are now telling me, the GM, what they want the scene to become. And it's this really exciting feeling of like, oh, we really are in this together. You know, they are telling me about the scene the same way I'm telling them about the scene. And we're exploring that co-GMing space more and more. And we found that um, it takes away a lot of that intimidation that, you know, GMs feel when they start to run games as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Absolutely. And so, like, when we've been thinking about, like, uh, uh, co-GMing, like splitting up play. Like I think the the place my mind immediately went was like, okay, can we do GMless play on this? Can we do like what happens if we hand mm. everyone the tools? Mm-hmm. If we are just sitting down at the table, like treating this like a a, a, a high fidelity whiteboard almost, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like l- making drawings, leaving notes, putting in assets, walking around, just putting NPCs down, and then walking around in them with them as characters. Like yes. what does that feel like? Um, and so I've been doing a a, a lot of just behind the scenes trying to, to just like figure out how to how to run this amazing city building game uh, mm-hmm. uh, in you know on a platform like multiverse um, so that has been really cool I think what's really cool about this co-gm digital aspect gmless gm full whatever term mm-hmm. we want to place here it's everything it's nothing we love it <laughs> <laughs> destroy it create it and destroy it again uh, but I think it opens up an interesting possibility for the visual actual play space, like on Twitch and things like that, where you can have sort of this, I don't know. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Like painter or, or artist, like sitting, sitting your level designer is one of the members, maybe not playing, maybe not GMing, but you're starting to iterate mm-hmm. on something and they're just like feeling your flow and they start putting the brush to the scape and they're like producing mountains and NPCs that you're talking about like in real time. I just think that execution would would change actual play forever in my mind. Like forever. God, we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the biz dev side of me talking. <laughs> Please, money. No, no uh, I, I think it, both of those are, are very cool. just because um, I know this isn't probably all rainbows and butterflies behind the mm-hmm. scenes. And I don't want to ask this question to like provide a, a chink in the armor. Cause that's not, I, I think this is an amazing project, but I, are there any, have there been any instances of games? Cause on your, uh, on the website, you mentioned how not every game is going to translate one to one to the, or potentially not one to one to the multiverse phase. Have you found any, types of styles of games or anything like that, that multiverse kind of fights against at least early in the process per chance. I don't know if that's been solved recently, but, um, as customizable as it is, uh, I can't say that everything would be perfect. So has anything been difficult, I guess is what I'm asking just to showcase that people are working very hard behind the scenes. I I don't think that's, uh, you know, a negative thing to ask. I think that's a reality of what we're up to. And it would be, and I should say this because we were quite naive when we started. We're like, we're just going to translate everything. It'll be great. (laughs) And no, it's, we very quickly had to realize when you uh, bring things from from tabletop into this visual space, you are fundamentally changing the language, you Mm -hmm. know? And you're asking people to move around with WASD. And so when, especially people who are completely new, they're coming to Multiverse um, and they're bringing their kind of like bias and instincts that come from video games. So I, I, we have to really delicately balance like how much of that are, are we trying to lean into? How much of it is coming up with this new visual language? Um, can we, should we be teaching people new habits? Should we be like holding back how much, uh, of a, an opinion this, the, the actual platform has, uh, these are all have been like, you know, very difficult questions to figure out. And, and we answer with more and more and more play tests. Yeah. This is something that I really struggled with when I first joined the team. I had a really disastrous first play test. I was writing it for a bunch of friends. I felt really bad. I was like, yeah, come through. Like we're gonna, I'm gonna show you this cool platform. It's gonna be great. Went terribly um, because <laughs> I just, I one, it was that it's a different thing. It, it really, mm-hmm. really feels like a different thing. Uh, uh, one of my friends, Natalie, who's an RPG designer, Natalie the Knife, likes to joke that Multiverse is a LARP platform, which I think it is kind of secretly uh, in a few ways. <laughs> in hiding, um, yes. In hiding, yes. Uh, uh, it, it just what I found really difficult is that it is a you know. Um, in RPGs, you know, uh, some ways that we, you know, talk internally about this is that, like, in RPGs, things move at the speed of plot in that, like, 
you are all sitting around a table telling a story together. The next thing isn't going to happen until you say it happens, you know? Um, but as soon as you are placing players in a video game level, basically, in, in this beautiful map space, level space, where they're using WASD to walk around, they're going to go wherever. They scatter <laughs> like roaches. They scatter. They scatter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to explore this. It, yeah, it, it just was fascinating. It was, it was, it was, and terrifying as a GM. It <laughs> felt like I had to like split up into like six different places. I had to like be tracking. I, would be, I was like, okay, someone's like running. It was literally like trying to run like a horror game too. It was the hardest thing in the world. Because it'd oh, be no. like, okay, someone's like jumped into the room where I'm supposed to do a jump scare while three other people are like off in a closet somewhere. It was like the worst version of splitting the party. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that that difference isn't necessarily negative in that, mm -hmm. like, uh, uh, after that play test, I had had a long conversation with, with Tiffany, um, uh, uh, who's a producer on the team and who's really, really, I think, smart and knowledgeable about, about design and about GMing specifically on the platform. She's a brilliant um, GM, yeah. She's brilliant. She's great. Um, uh, and it was just a process of, like, okay, there are these little tips and tricks. There are these little like things that you need to, to figure out. You know, there are these little like, okay, you need to like put people into a room and give them five minutes just to walk around and click on things because mm -hmm. that's what they're going to do. And you're not gonna be able to control that. You need to like do these, you know, do this, this, and this. Uh, uh, and so for me as a designer, it was really informative. It was like uh, a real moment of like, okay, this is different, but it just means what it means is that we need to design games differently. We need mm -hmm. to, we need to think about, uh, uh, it both is like a generative, but it's a generative space, right? It is an open space. It is allowing us to do things, to have experiences that I haven't had in RPGs before. Uh, uh, you know, of like somebody noticing something on the map, being running, and like it, we had a, 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 another playtest that I ran where they were like being chased by an enemy or whatever, and they noticed like a corridor, and they ran down the corridor, and they made a check, and it was this great moment of them like seeing something in the map, seeing something in the world, mm -hmm. seeing something in the level, and then understanding it to be you know, this thing that is happening in the game and then, and then responding to that and, bu and building off that together. Um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, past that, we've been working on, like, okay, how, how do we do non-representational levels? How do we do levels yeah. that are, like, being built together? How do we do, you know, levels that are more like sets, that are more about mm. conveying a, a tone, a theme, a feel, than being, like, this is strictly mm -hmm. what is in the level, like, you know, in a, in a video game. Um, and I love but that I, you bring up Ben and Caro as well, because we yeah. are, they're actually designers in residence with us and we've been consulting with them and they've also been pushing like what could play in multiverse look Absolutely. like, what are these boundaries? Uh, what do we push against? What do we lean into that kind of thing? And mm -hmm. it was fascinating because so much of the language they were bringing to it was the language of like stage plays and stage yes. direction mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it made so much sense to me because um the big aspect when you're putting on a production like that a lot in front of a live audience is uh suspension of disbelief you know and so much of that is just the language of rpgs right it's like i'm gonna tell you something's here and it doesn't really represent a real thing but you're gonna believe me and we're gonna go yeah. through this beautiful experience together um and and that's been like it's not video game language. It's not yeah. RPG language. It's some weird, funky hybrid in the middle that we're all figuring out together. And every mm -hmm. time we talk to a new designer, a new writer, a new player, we learn something new about that experience. And it's both incredibly intimidating mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> also 
wildly exciting because you That's don't right. know what could happen next or who's going to push your platform in a different way. Um, one of our biggest challenges, I guess, is like corralling our focus at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and seeing like who we want to talk to first, we decided to talk to creators first, uh, who do we want to like really polish this up for at the beginning? And it's like thinking about UI, thinking about those interactions, mm-hmm. you know, these layers and the, that just, they don't, they don't come up if you're designing for TTRPG. So when we go from mm-hmm. translating a book, uh, a player's handbook into, uh, something, you know, usable on the platform We'll need to add things, we'll need to tweak things or move things, and hopefully the spirit of the game will still be there and um, kind of renewed through the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds interesting to try and, as you slowly develop, discover these keywords, right? Because when we talk about, for instance, dice resolution systems and how you're saying before, I don't want to pick like, D&D style D20. I don't want to pick Blades in the Dark, D6, whatever. I want to be able to customize those things from whatever game I'm bringing into the space, right? So you're figuring figuring out how to create amorphous tools while also Mm -hmm. displaying a new sort of shared language that helps say, hey, this is your dice resolution builder. These are the things that are in here. Pick mm-hmm. your pieces. That is your game, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we can have like the levels and stuff too. It's like you can go fully representational, build yeah. out something beautiful and lush and video game like. And now the other side, you can have a completely in darkness level with just some mm-hmm. fog animation over and it's mm-hmm. up to you to decide if like that's just the, the vibe that you're playing with and that's the only thing that's important to your level. So on one hand, you want you have people there like I want grids, and on the other hand, you, you have people who are like I want to see nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that like what's what's interesting. I think like back to your question about like adapting games, like it's sort of you have to come from it, come in it from both directions, right? Mm-hmm. In in a lot of ways, of both we are thinking about like okay, as a product. How do we support this? How do we support this? How do we support this? What features can we add? What features do people want? What features are people going to like be using and getting excited about? Mm-hmm. But then also, I think as a designer, you know, I, I think that there is a level of, of adaptation, a level of creation, I think, that, that will open up, which mm-hmm. is exciting, about like, okay, how do you build, you know, game tools to support real-time play? How do you build, like, just like it took, like, Tiffany sitting me down and saying, like, okay, this is what you have to do, this is yeah. what that, like, you can take that Tiffany speech and put it into a game and putting into the text of a game, right? And put it into the design of the game. Um, and, and that is what's exciting to me is, is really just about that interplay. Mm-hmm. Has there, uh, in sort of a follow-up to, to these questions, has there been anything, I know you're trying to design a space that's very like, yes to as many things as possible. It is there, has there been any fight back of something that you haven't been able to evolve? Like you've had to say like, we, we cannot emulate this thing. Has that come across the table yet? Yes. <laughs> and that thing is, no, we can't give you 5e right away. Wizards yeah. won't let us. Yeah. <laughs> they just simply won't. They're a very slow company. Oh, no. Very so, I mean, the, so you have the side of uh, people who are very excited, uh, GMs, creators, you know, players, and they see what we're providing, and they're like, I 
I want to play this right now. I want to bring my game in and all mm. this stuff. And you have to also recognize that just because they're asking for it doesn't mean it's necessarily the number one thing to provide uh, yeah. because people only want what they know. And we're in this interesting space where maybe we can provide something they haven't seen yet yeah. Um, yeah. And, and hope that <laughs> it works out. But like it, it's, it's interesting where there's like a very clear, safe way to do multiverse. Um, and I think, you know, sure, maybe we can make it prettier than Roll20. Sure, we can make it more efficient, free to play, less expensive, like all of this stuff, more customizable. But like we're, we want to push the definition of play. We mm-hmm. want to see mm-hmm. how we can expand people's vocabularies. Can we show them an experience they've, they've just never encountered before? Um, and, and we're invested in, in finding those answers one way or another. And if it, if it fails, you know, whatever, we'll make a virtual tabletop play. <laughs> but don't tell our investors that. <laughs> uh, investors, if you're listening, there's special RSS feed. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, thank you. Uh, the only reason I ask sort of these more um, poke holes in it style questions, because I, you know, as I said at the beginning of this, I'm very interested in this space of design and sort of the coming, mm, I don't know if modern area is a little bit too much like of me, but like Hmm. this modern era of tabletop role-playing games, we're really starting to incorporate technology. Like my, my imagery, because I understand that multiverse also has plans to not only be like browser based or, or, or Mm -hmm. computer based, but also mobile based, like iPads and down the line phones. Yeah. Down the line. And so like me, I am, I, I know people who are like, I can't do it. I can't have like my documents in a laptop or on my phone or whatever. I have to have the book in front of me with like written documents. And that's beautiful. I don't think paper mm-hmm. is ever going to disappear. Electronic is not the destroyer of paper. But uh, I am the person who's like, I imagine seeing five people around the table all with a tablet out, like moving around, yeah. seeing the space digitally and, a- and they're able to adjust it. Cause we, you mentioned accessibility before, which is the other reason me and Spencer mm-hmm. are really into this idea of digital space, because we talk about how e-readers and Mobi files for creating, um, uh, game books and everything like that in addition to its own like digital ecosystem mm-hmm. and how that can help people with colorblindness, how that can help people who are unable to see, or maybe, mm-hmm. uh, unable to be in a physical space. You know, I live on the second floor of a building and it's not wheelchair accessible. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And having the ability to connect in such a fluid way, using technology in the tabletop space, I think is something I really strive for. Like I'm fine with using the screen real estate of my iPad to like shift through my notes and hyperlink all of them and connect them and create my own sort of like wiki. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know not everybody's for that. Do you, do you think that, do you think there was an apprehension at first to be like, well, we don't want to lose the, cause I'm talking more to like the business side of this. Right. Yeah. And, uh, do you think there was ever a thought in your minds about like, we want to try to say yes to as many types of people? How can we do that? But then was there another point where you're like, you know what, we are a digital form. And if there are people who can't kick with that, that's okay. So it, it comes down to when you say TTRPGs are for everyone. And we genuinely believe that we yeah. have to mean everyone. And it kind of goes back to that idea of like, 
when people react strongly to Disney live action movies where it's like, well, mm-hmm. if you like the original cartoon, it's still there for you. If you yeah. still want a player's handbook and you want to sit around the table and, and, and by all means, like bring a tablet if you need it. But like, I, I just don't understand this. Um, if I understand your, your question correctly, like mm-hmm. we're not as attached to the to the traditional tactile yeah. feelings, I'm sure that's great, and there's a lovely, thriving space for that for that art to object part of TTRPGs. You know, mm-hmm. the dice collectors and all of that. That's mm-hmm. fine. Um, yeah. We we want to talk to new folks. Yeah. We want to talk to the folks who haven't been talked to before, and that's kind of what drives us forward. Um, there's a lot more things to to navigate when you invite more people in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Janie, anything to add on top of that? Yeah, I, I think that, like, I don't know. I, I think that that's a really good sentiment, and I think that, like, there are are lots of people who don't feel safe going to a game at a game store, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, like... Like me, yeah. <laughs> Literally, everyone me. on the call right now. Yeah. <laughs> Party anywhere but the game anywhere store. You know, but like, there. like. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think like when we think about okay, how do we decentralize that? How do we provide mm-hmm. tools, mm-hmm. you know, for for people to get access to this space that you know I that that we love so much to this to this thing that we love so much? Um, I, I I think that it's really really important. Um, mm-hmm. and, and something that I think that multiverse is, is well equipped to, to do. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I As love it. I, say, that wasn't a question to, to be like, yeah, that wasn't a question to be like, what about all the paper people? You know, it, I think they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, they will be <laughs> fine. And that's, that's what, uh, I was more getting at for anyone who's listening. I think I'm very much a person who's who finds it easy to say no to a lot of things in life and to other people when it's not like vibing with what I'm trying to accomplish in my life. So when there are beginner designers out there who are like, well, I have to make sure that there's like this little bit for this type of player. And there's this little Mm -hmm. bit for this type of Mm -hmm. player. You don't, it's going to feel weird at first to be like, well, you don't have to consider that player, especially if that's sort of like uh, muddying what you're mm-hmm. trying to create, right? And so even with the project as open as multiverse, and I think it truly is open, even with what we sort of like poked at here in this last little bit, um, uh, I think that it's a way more accessible platform than than ever before for a lot of reasons with connectivity. And it, you know, it has its own bar- barriers. You know, not everyone has mm-hmm. internet access. Not everyone has... Mm-hmm. Um, the money to spend on a tablet or a phone or a computer. Mm-hmm. And those are challenges that even I think about when it comes to this sort of electronic ecosystem of live design. Um, and But it goes the other way too. Like not everyone can afford to print their book. Not everyone mm-hmm. can afford to get that distribution to other international countries, whereas the internet kind of solves that problem for us at, at a substantially yeah. cheaper cost. You know what I mean? I mean, did the Kickstarter route, if you're trying to reach people in third world countries, they are paying more for the shipping than they are for that item. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just don't know. Like for me, I understand the concerns with the, with the costs of, of internet and innovation, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like we are engaging in play and we mm-hmm. can do our absolute best to make it as, you know, to lower the the bar for entry as much yeah. as we can. Um, but 
it, it, it comes down to like one of our main tenets is like we want to help creators uh, make a living making games. And it is a recreation at the end of the day. And we mm -hmm. want to get it into as many people's hands as possible and give them that experience. Um, as, as far as our plans are right now, we can't make promises, but it's like we want Multiverse to be free to play. Uh, no one is currently paying us to have access to the product in that kind yeah. of way. Uh, and, and we're thinking of like, you know, what is the best way to share it? What is the best way to help promote people? Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's definitely a good question. I was going to say something and then I forgot about it. I had a, okay. <laughs> well, you were, there was something about, about like intention. I think that, that really mm -hmm. stood out to me. Um, mm -hmm. you were talking about like intention in, in, am I, what? No, no, no. I just totally it lost was, my train of thought. Apologies. No, you, no you're <laughs> super good. I, I'm here. I'm riding. We're on the train together, and sometimes there's a really cool deer <laughs> in the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember the thing I was going to bring up. I was also going to bring up um, responsibility around uh, community, especially as we mm -hmm. realize like we are trying to craft this new language together, um, and it's going to take a whole lot of people to help build this kind of space with us, and thinking very carefully about uh, the kind of games we want to host, the kind of creators we we elevate, um, the kind of voices you know we we want to prioritize on this platform first and foremost, because they are going to set the standard for who then comes and feels welcome with us, um, and. It's, it's a constant conversation you have to have. You're never quite done with it. Uh, and you can't ever feel quite complacent with, like, did I do the right thing? Because, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's an action. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's touching a lot of hands for sure. Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm along for the ride. I'm here, <laughs> I'm here to party with Multiverse. And all these, uh, I'm just showcasing, like, for people who are thinking about not only game design, starting careers, uh, trying to make game design their career and all the different, this is another like new Avenue. Like me and yeah. Spencer talk about how in the traditional format of pen and paper, like, sir, you're giving like publishers dollars and jobs and stuff like that. But in a digital space, you're giving developers and coders Give jobs. Give it straight to the creators. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot less middleman. There's a lot less waiting. Um, there's a lot less, uh, or there's a lot, there's a lot more tools when it comes to allowing people to feel engaged when maybe potentially they couldn't before mm -hmm. in a pen and paper sense. Um, you know, to some of the examples I mentioned earlier, but yeah, I mean, I, there's a reason why, uh, actual play podcasts like the adventure zone and critical role friends mm -hmm. at the table have been able to reach so many people. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, they created these environments where it was, it felt safe and inviting to learn and listen and, and, you know, find other people with similar interests in a way that traditional like tabletop spaces genuinely haven't been, or haven't mm -hmm. understood where they were at fault. You know, like yeah. Yeah. I have been attending conventions since I was like 11 years old, since I was a wee bab, you know, and I've had to kind of like fight tooth and nail for my own little space. And I'm so happy when I see how the space has changed just over the past, you know, decade and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been so thrilling to me uh, seeing like just uh, like the richness and the, the spectrum of experiences people yeah. are now able to have in this yes. space. It's Praise so definitely. exciting. 
it's the fact that we can find each other, you know, through Patreon and Kickstarter and Indiegogo and Itch.io and all that. It's never been an easier time to be a creator, like historically, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. I definitely think there is a a new age of tabletop that has come across the crest of the horizon for sure. And that's why I really, I think the way that you termed it, it's like, this is a modern age. Like I mean that in every sense of the word. one is a tldr tip a secondary lightning round where if someone didn't want to listen to the entire uh what is now an hour 19 minutes of the show they could scrub ahead get this tip and feel good about their day so uh to both of you usually i roll this but uh my table is faulty i keep rolling the same number on my dice no matter how many times i do this but i think i want to do a more structured uh tip prompt for the two of you so Mm -hmm sort of thinking about this modern age of design, what are maybe some tools or resources that like someone like me, right? I'm interested, like right now I'm trying to learn how to do, uh, learn the Swift programming language for, for Apple Mm -hmm. ecosystem, right? What are some like tools or resources or maybe like good people to follow that you think would help someone get into this, into thinking about designing for the digital space? Ooh. That is a good question. Designing for digital space. Mm-hmm. Take your time. I, I, I have to check my Twitter. I have to remember. <laughs> it's me. I'm the resource. Who can I call out? Yeah. I mean, also, like, I'm happy for recommendations, too, because I'm just learning alongside you guys as well. Well, you know, experience is relative, right? You look yeah. like an expert to someone else, and then someone else looks like an expert to you. Mm-hmm. I just scrolled down my own Twitter to also get ideas, Janie, and I found your your TikTok about the Suez Canal. Um, oh, my God. And I was like, yeah, turn to TikTok. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but actually, though, like, I kind of yeah. amazed at uh, how role-playing has, like, researched in kind of the mainstream. And that, Mm -hmm. like, you know, kids have been used to, and I I say kids pretty explicitly, like, people who are are coming up kind of, you know, already with smartphones, already having that internet language, um, and have an ability to connect with people. They're more and more comfortable as storytellers in this, like, absurdly innovative ways that we're seeing on TikTok especially. And Mm. it's... It's hard to to put this in context of TTRPGs, but it makes sense in my brain where there's just there's so many different exciting formats of, of conveying a story. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of amazed by the constraints provided by TikTok as well um, and, and the kind of idea of like bringing in music and editing and that kind of video format to it. I, I don't know. I guess... I'm encouraging folks to push back on on what they think role playing could be and yeah. and taking notes from the the very alive and vibrant world around them uh and seeing what other people are doing 
And I guess it goes back to our previous conversation of just like, is that an RPG idea? Is that an RPG idea? And <laughs> nice skill, nice skill. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that there are like two parts of that, that that really stand out to me. And I guess that these are my two tips. Like the first is just like meeting people where they are, which is just like, understand what people are using right now. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it's TikTok. Yes, it's Discord. Like, understand what the 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 tools are that people are turning to and try and understand one why they're turning to those tools and then two how they work like how mm. how and i don't mean like technically but like what does what does being on a discord call bring to a conversation so i guess like my call out is is um wait shoot i should find that who exactly the designer is for this amazing game but like um it's this was one of my favorite things that I played recently. Is this Discord has ghosts in it? Williams oh. and Bass. Yes. 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 Um, I I, played it, I literally. It was literally my birthday party. It was like <laughs> I had. I Janie, it, it you was sweet, COVID. sweet I was nerd. like locked down in quarantine. All my friends are all over the world, mm -hmm. but we love playing RPGs. We came into a Discord. I, I just got like a, a ominous message at like 9 p.m. on my birthday, like <laughs> join this server. And then we played this amazing game of Discord as Ghost in it, which which yeah, have if you haven't played, is an incredible horror game. Incredible. Uh, incredible. Uh, uh, where That's you are right. playing as an investigator in like a voice call and you go from like room to room and the ghost can only text. So you're in a haunted place, you're in a voice call with your other like investigators talking through things, and then there are ghosts who are typing at you. Um and it's so terrifying. Cool. It's so ominous and terrifying. And it uses Discord so well because mm -hmm. I think it understands really deeply about uh, it understands how information flows in Discord about how, mm -hmm. what you can see and when and how that works and what it means to be in this voice call versus this one, what it means, what it feels like to sit in a Discord mm -hmm. call and have six other people who are in there with you but muted and like the quiet discomfort <laughs> ah, of that and yeah, yeah. so translating cool. that into a horror game. And, and so I think that like that is what <laughs> I that also is realized what the that future... was our last meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Me and six muted people. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> um, but like that is what I think the future of digital play is: is understanding the tools that you have and then building things that are that are built to take what's best out of them, mm. or take what's worst out of them, or take what's weirdest out of them. And, and build new experiences with that. I love that. Yeah, to, to both your points, uh, for like the constraints in which TikTok, I always question like, a lot of people watch Critical Role, a lot of people play D&D &D 5e, they listen to D&D &D 5e actual plays, and uh, I think the Adventure Zone has shorter ones, but everyone kind of makes the assumption that like a good game lasts like four hours, right? And not everyone yeah. has four hours to give you for, you know, for their, for their daily lives, weekly mm -hmm. lives, monthly, yearly, their lives, period. Um, so like thinking about how stories are presented in different mediums, right? Like TikTok is a medium. I know some people may be like meme on it or spoof on it. It's like, oh, you have a very short attention span or whatever. But I think there's like this really cool distillation and Do we forget that fine with six seconds? <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> uh, but like, it's so cool to see the people who take those constraints 
and still give you a full experience yeah. inside of that content, right? Mm-hmm. People who need, and I'm, you know, I don't want to knock anyone who's playing the four hour, six hour game and telling beautiful stories because I'm sure that's happening too. But there, there are other games that I've been a part of where it's very meandering and like mm-hmm. you're running four hours in a shopping episode and everyone's just kind of like, it's, and that's fine. It's like the beer and pretzels. You're all hanging around the table and you're just there to enjoy each other's company. But like when we think about delivering content to people, especially in a role-playing game, like it doesn't have, you can push on those time constraints, right? And then for the, for the digital, first of all, I've also played this, this Discord has a ghost in it. Great game. If you haven't played it yet, you need oh to play it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Play that uh, game. It's so good. Uh, but yeah, understanding the digital space, the tools, and figuring out how to create game. Like, um, I think Adira Slattery knows a game that you play through Twitter posts. Oh God. Ooh. Is it fastball? Fun ball? Uh, oh God. That sounds fascinating. I can't remember. But that you that's how you play like forum play through twitter it's designed mm-hmm. for twitter so like imagine imagine the types of things like people are already doing twitter sonas right that's just one just one more step away from playing a role playing game using twitter sonas <laughs> and like that lives somewhere and that can be entertainment for people it's another way of content creation and mm-hmm. i think uh both of these tips are very valuable for the progression of TTRPG. And I also want to say to that point, you know, if you dislike something, study it because you have to understand why someone else likes it. You have to realize that if you dislike something, um, those people are going to be very effective at talking to people you're not talking to. And it's still worth knowing that even if you have no interest in engaging with that same audience, uh, it really adds to your own vocabulary as a creator. It makes your own message stronger. Uh, And that that is all worth learning. Yeah, I I think what's essential is like taking these things seriously is Mm -hmm. like not being is that like in order to study this, in order to like understand the the tools, the things that people are, are using part of meeting them where they are is taking seriously the tools that they're using, yeah. not dismissing, you know, things like TikTok, you know, mm-hmm. because it is, you know, good for the, you know, because the kids love it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the kids love it for a reason. Someone loves exactly. it for a reason. Like, yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and especially um, in these, uh, in some of the indie spaces that I'm, I've, you know, poked my head in, I have noticed this thing of like when something gets popular enough or big enough, like now we can, you know, start to, to dunk on it or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and I understand where some of those sentiments come from, uh, but it's still like they're able to reach people. And that's kind of like mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. And that's worth celebrating to me and worth learning from to me. It doesn't have to be your cup of tea, uh, but and it doesn't also detract from you. Like what's mm-hmm. kind of amazing about being in in such boisterous, you know, creative spaces is that like when one person succeeds with their game, we kind of all succeed because we're bringing in new players and new faces and new voices. And that's that's always something to be excited for. This has been a this has been an, <laughs> an episode. This has been a journey. It's been a journey, everyone. Thank you for being here. Uh, I want to thank you both so much for being here and providing the maximum amount of knowledge that the show can contain in its allotted time frame. Um, like real a TikTok. Quick, <laughs> <laughs> this is my constraint. Uh, 
real quick, give one more blurb plug-in for the both of you. Mm-hmm. Where can we find you? Uh, hit us with the multiverse websites and all those links and things. And I will provide all those in the show notes for your access listeners. Um, so one more time, we are multiverse, a gaming platform where you can build and play tabletop role-playing games. We're allowing creators to combine beautiful Pixar library with their own original campaigns. Uh, we're interested in changing kind of the vocabulary of what it means to play TTRPG, uh, upcoming, you know, creator focused marketplace. Uh, please find us at multiverse.com on Twitter at play multiverse on Twitch at Multiverse, and you, of course, our Discord, discord.gg slash Multiverse. You can talk to me, Sarah, uh, co-founder and creative director uh, at, at Sarah Alfaji on Twitter. And Janie, how about you? Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Janie underscore Jaffe, and I also write RPGs uh, at JanieJaffe.itch.io. Yes. If you like Beam Saber, which we talked about earlier, I wrote a playbook for it about being like a living weapon. It's pretty cool. The Angel, you should check that out yes. if you like the game. Um, and you can find me at on TikTok at Janie Jaffe. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Sarah, Janie, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on here. Everyone at home, Uh, Thank you for listening. I've learned a lot listening to these two, and I hope you have too. And we will see you next time. Say bye to the people. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Sarah, Janie, and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes, such as getting in touch with Sarah or Janie or other episodes with similar topics. If you want to be a part of the conversation, please come and join the community discord server. Also make sure to subscribe to the draw your dice Patreon, where you can get access to early releases of episodes from as soon as we interview. Thanks again for stopping by. And as always, I will catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.